0: you are faithful what a gift to come together with your people this morning and declare you've never failed us to turn our minds and our attentions to you faithful promise keeping father and agree that while it's hard walking in this world uncertain of our next step that we are choosing to trust in a promise-keeping faithful father and now as we turn our attention to what you've told us in your word we ask for your help like the guy who asked jesus to help him to believe Help me with my unbelief. We ask for your strengthening today, Father. And we know that's your desire to help us, your kids. And we pray all this in the strong, faithful, promise-keeping name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Would you go ahead and have a seat, those who are in the room, those who are outside, We just want to welcome you if you're watching online. My name is Kim, and I'm so excited to be here with you today as we get to open the Bible together. And I'm excited to introduce to you someone special. This is Meredith Cooper, who is coming to read the scripture. Would you welcome Meredith? I just want to tell you. Just a little bit about her, I'll tell you what, this will age a person, you know? She told me she's been a part of our church family since she was three years old, and now she's a college young lady studying at William Jessup University in the area of public policy, and we're just so grateful she would come and read from Proverbs chapter three. I've asked her to read to us from the message paraphrase, so thank you, Merida.
1: Good friends, don't forget all I've taught you. Take to heart my commands. They'll help you live a long, long time, a long life lived full and well. Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Earn a reputation for living well in God's eyes and the eyes of the people. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. Thank you so much. Let's thank the Lord for his word. It's powerful for us.
0: I love hearing our verses from a different rendering. Sometimes it just helps me listen closer when I listen to a different translation. That rich passage is what we're studying this morning. So I hope that you have your Bible handy turned to chapter 3, and maybe you could get out If you're in the room with us, this listening guide that you got in your program, or maybe you're outside, maybe you're watching online, that listening guide is available to you. It makes a great resource for reflection later on. I just want you to notice when she read that we're not given just wisdom, but we're given a a life principle along with an incentive for keeping it, for following it. A reason to pay attention to wisdom. What may feel like a simple instruction will have big payoff. And we hear that kind of thing throughout the book of Proverbs. An an appeal followed by an incentive. I call that an if-then connection. You know, if you do this, then you can expect this outcome. And you know, I think if-then connections are important in child development. How many of us, okay, have a memory that was a direct result of an undeveloped if-then connection? Anybody? I remember, for instance, getting in my friend Dean's old Plymouth Duster when I was in high school, along with too many others, okay? Anybody remember the old Plymouth Duster? Well, yeah. Well, I got the space right next to the passenger door, only there wasn't really a space there because there were five of us there in the front seat. Now, I piled in and... My if-then connection was not serving me well that night because I was crammed against this door that had to be slammed in order for the latch to engage. And I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and my friend was driving just a little too fast as he took this left turn at a traffic signal. Now think with me. When a car turns to the left, then everybody slides to the... I should have had you there with me that night. So next thing I know, This door I'm holding on to swings open while we're in the middle of this intersection. Next thing I know, the asphalt is passing underneath me at a very high rate of speed, and my body is creating kind of a reverse suspension bridge, okay? If, then, connections are important. Now, obviously, I lived through it, right? Right? But that mild escapade, well, it just doesn't really compare to some of the stories that my husband can tell about his if-then connections that weren't developed. But I think they're super important, if-then connections. Now, while this section of verses, all through Proverbs, we get to hear a command followed by an incentive, what I want you to be really clear on is that it's not that This appeal and incentive is about earning the father's acceptance. You know how I know? Well, look right there in verse 1. In the NIV, what are the first two words that you see? Let's see those verses in the NIV. There we go. Ready? What are those first two words? My son. Do you hear that? He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years. Do you hear the relationship when he starts out this way? They will bring you peace and prosperity. I can just hear the affection. I hear my daughter. It's like he's saying, my child. You see, you don't get from Proverbs what you get from Romans. Proverbs doesn't live in the courtroom proverbs lives around the kitchen table where a father is telling his son in loving terms son this is how you can have a life that actually works so through solomon here wisdom is talking to you and me and the challenge is is that god is speaking to you and me through the voice of wisdom and bringing us this challenge develop a posture of listening close and applying the lessons that I've been taught. That's what Proverbs is all about. It's uncommon sense to have a listening heart. But God promises us three things if we will live according to his wisdom. First, I want you to see this. You might want to get your pen ready. Living by God's wisdom secures me. It secures me. When I choose to listen to him. Look at verse three. It says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Would you circle love and faithfulness? Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Well, it sounds like the challenge is to be loving and to be faithful, right? That will secure my good name to be loving, and I better be faithful. I need to strive for that, but here's the question. What about when I'm not? What about when I lose my temper? What about when I sit down to pray early in the morning for others that are burdening my heart, but I find that, you know, the dust on the furniture, or, you know, a a fly buzzing in my house, or my need for coffee is pulling at me. I'm up and I'm down. I'm distracted. I don't look very loving or faithful in that moment, but here's the thing. I am not, and I never will be, the source and the supply of love or of faithfulness. So when the text reads, let love and faithfulness never leave you, it's saying, I need to get this straight. I need to raise my attention to God's love to his faithfulness, his patient, undeserved, relentless love for me. In Hebrew, there's a word for this, okay? It's the word hesed. That's your Hebrew lesson for the day. Hesed, it means covenant love, loyal love. We've seen this over and over in our studies of people in this book who didn't deserve it, who suddenly discovered God's love comes splashing over them. It's the big theme of this book, the love of God expressed to us through his son Jesus. Now, why do we start here? Well, it's because it's what secures you. See, that's why we keep lifting up these songs around here about God's love. Today it was, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. It's about his love. No matter what happens in life, can you picture yourself in this posture? Just soaking up the Father, expressing his love to you. Bind it around your neck. Write it on your heart. You know why? It'll make you different. It will secure you. That's God's promise. Well, then we come to some more uncommon sense, and that's this. Living by God's wisdom guides me it gives me direction. Living by his wisdom guides me. Let's read these well-known verses out loud together. Did you bring your voice in the room? Let's read it. Ready, go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You know, many of us, find these words so familiar. They sound like a Hallmark card. In fact, this is one of my favorite keepsakes. This is a picture I took of my grandmother's ceramic plate. It hung on the wall in her house. I got an as close up of the view as I could to show you. It's Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. It hangs on my wall now. And you know, I just love that thing. But Have you noticed that familiarity can actually become a problem when words become so common that we don't stop to think about what they mean? They might roll off of our tongue, trust in the Lord with all your heart. But what does it actually mean when we trust someone? Well, I found this helpful. When we trust someone, we are confident in their reliability. And we are assured of their good intentions, but when we lack trust, we question motives. And that helped me to stop and ask, is God reliable in my life? Are his intentions towards you really good? You know, just stopping and taking a closer look can be helpful, but many of us have spoken these timeless words, trust in the Lord with all your heart. When life feels totally uncertain, right? I mean, we've quoted these words at the graveside. We found them so comforting when nothing seems firm, when there's no place to stand without wobbling, kind of like in a global pandemic, right? I mean, in our world of today that's plagued with tension, tension from racism or politics or relational struggle or health difficulties or economics, you name it. This is a good time to learn how to trust God with all of our hearts. And as I studied, I came across a story that that I found one of the best pictures I've ever heard of trusting God no holds barred. This came from a story of many years ago. It was told by Ray Ortland. This took place in winter when a man was trying to cross a river that was frozen but he was a newcomer to his area and he did not know how thick the ice was. So he was literally down on all fours, listening for cracks in the ice as he ventured out. And then suddenly he hears a noise coming from behind him. And what it was is a horse drawn wagon with a guy cracking his whip. And It was a local, obviously. This guy driving his wagon right out across the ice because he trusted the ice to hold him. I heard that and I thought, lots of times I'm like that guy down on all fours. I'm not really sure if God has really got me. But then someone with wholehearted faith comes along and changes the tone. That's the kind of believing we need. That's the kind of believing God we need here at Twin Cities. Trust the Lord with all. Ray Ortland went on to share that when we dig into the root of the word that's translated trust, it has an Arabic root that means to throw oneself down on one's face, to kind of do a belly flop on Christ. With all your doubts and all your inadequacy and all your sorrow, with all your defeat, with all your confusion, just to say, I have nowhere else. I'm just hurling myself at you. But this is what I want to ask you today, friends. How do we trust him like that? How do we get beyond sentiment and into real belly flop trust in Jesus? How do I stop being suspicious of God's motives? You know, it's one thing to be sweet and sentimental and hang a ceramic plate on the wall, but how do we put our trust in the Lord into practice today? Now, I I just want to be really tender here because I know that there's someone here or maybe watching online who is facing circumstances that are unimaginable. And I often call to mind the wise words that came from Johnny Erickson Tata. She has lived now for 53 years with quadriplegia in her wheelchair. And she talks about how she imagines the day that she will get to heaven and she will look her father in the eyes. And together, they will look back at her journey. And they will talk not just about how difficult it was, But about the fact that she chose to trust him. And she says only he knows what it will have cost her to trust him. There are no formulas for trusting God. And yet what I find as I look here in the scripture is something practical that actually does help us to get a handle. So before you turn your notes over, I want to ask you to look back at verse 6. Where it says this, in all your ways acknowledge him. Do you see that word acknowledge? What is that word in the middle of the word acknowledge? Know. Do you see it? Would you underline that word know? In all your ways know him. Some translations actually just say, in all your ways know him, because that word is rooted in the Hebrew word yada. It's the same word that was used when Adam knew Eve and she conceived. We're talking a very intentional kind of knowing. So this kind of trust is not an automatic thing, it grows, it's deepened in you as you acknowledge the Lord. You know, I was given a snapshot, snapshot of acknowledging when I got to visit my brother when he was a midshipman at the Naval Academy, along with my parents for a parent's weekend, And we were having a Coke in a a visiting room when suddenly my brother stopped because a ranking officer came in the room. And all the plebes stopped. And they acknowledged this ranking officer. They saluted him. That was acknowledging. But, you know, the analogy kind of breaks down because that was obligatory. So I got to thinking, what about marriage? Ron and I are married. And, you know... Wherever I am, if he comes in the room, he just became the most important person in the room. He knows it. Now, it's not like our eyes lock on and there's wind in my hair and an orchestra (laughs) plays and I run slow motion into his arms. No, we've been married a long time, haven't we, honey? But you know, it's an awareness. You're here now. I mean, even when he's not in the room, There's an awareness of our marriage. Acknowledging my husband isn't obligatory. There's a deep knowing his place in my life. Now, if we bring that over, when we acknowledge the Lord, it means wherever you are, whoever is with you, that the Lord is the most important person in the room. And you have this posture of acknowledging the Lord's presence. Whoa, I just have to stop and think, how would it change me? How would it change my thoughts, my actions, my words, my conversations? How would it change my driving if I acknowledged the Lord is here? You know, it changed me again this morning when I stopped and I acknowledged his presence. Now, this is where many people miss out on this verse, though, because they see it more utilitarian, you know? Like, it's about getting guidance. Uh, they, they see this verse, in all your ways acknowledge him, and they see, and he will make your path straight. They think, oh, this is it. This is how I'm going to make my big decision. Like, they're breaking into a fortune cookie. I mean, have you ever been desperate enough to make a decision that you just looked in a fortune cookie for the answer? <laughs> Someone shared this, was definitely the scariest advice they ever got from a fortune cookie. It simply says, run. (laughs) Wouldn't that be creepy? (laughs) Well, maybe you are looking for direction today, some guidance. Some people call it trying to find the will of God. We're talking practical, real-life stuff. Maybe it's about whether you're supposed to take a job or maybe you're supposed to move or not. Well, I appreciated that Renee Schlepfer shared that some people have a mistaken view of seeking God's will. He says this confusing perspective is like searching for a dot in a sea of dots. And they fear, what if God only has one right answer? What if there's only one person that I'm supposed to marry? Because, you know, if I get this wrong, then so many other decisions hinge on this one. Now, see, here's what we need to understand about finding God's will. God's will is not about finding the dot. Because when I'm in this posture of seeking to acknowledge him, God's will is about a relationship. Having the kind of heart that continually is, is, is just aware of his presence. If you have a heart like that, if you're like a little kid reaching up and trust to your father, you know what? You're going to make a decision that he can and he will bless. It's about a relationship. So living by God's wisdom secures me. It guides me. And next, living by God's wisdom grows me. There is so much hope in that prospect. It grows me. Look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Whoa, (laughs) we've left the Hallmark card behind, haven't we? You would never find those words on a ceramic plate. This is pretty direct talk from father to son. It's like when Meredith read the message paraphrase, don't assume you know it all. You know, here's the thing. We are naturally wise in our own eyes, don't you think? I mean, we naturally agree with ourselves that the way we think is right, that our sense is common sense. The Father is saying, do you want to be wise? He's challenging our self-satisfied thinking. And what is the solution to being wise in your own eyes? Well, it's right there. Fear the Lord and shun evil fear the lord you know the bible uses those words over and over and until we dig in and try to understand those words kind of sound impersonal not even connected to reality it's kind of scary sounding like we better hide you know like last week our smoke alarm at my house the battery went out on it and so it chirped all day you ever had that happen Right, Every minute, well, we have a great big dog, a lab. She's got a big, scary-sounding bark. And you know what she did? She trembled. She literally hid in the backyard all day long. It was an irrational fear of that chirp. And sometimes we approach the fear of the Lord kind of that way, an irrational cowering, distancing ourselves from him because we're scared he's going to zap us. Well, Ron has talked with us the last couple of weeks about the fear of the Lord. It's a major theme in the book of Proverbs. And two weeks ago, he shared with us a description from a man named Charles Bridges that I found so meaningful, where he said, the fear of God is the affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. See, that's way different, isn't it? it's a relationship between a loving father who longs to see his child grow and a child who chooses this posture of reverence where he wants to trust this father with all of his or her heart that's affectionate reverence now when we're told fear the lord shun evil you know you might say well isn't that kind of obvious i mean aren't we obviously the folks who do fear the Lord? I mean, aren't we in church? Do you really need to tell people in church to fear God or to shun evil? Well, listen, I want to ask you to tune in close now because what I'm going to share here requires some nuanced listening. Even prominent, fruitful Christ followers, any one of us, can fall back into old patterns of sin. That when I say sin, I'm just talking about missing the mark of God's standard of holiness into patterns of sin or self-deception. And this is relevant because regularly we hear on the news about another well-known leader who is a Christian who has been discovered that he or she was ensnared by evil. It happened again recently. And let me tell you why this is important. There's a misconception out there for both Christians and those who are not for both those in the faith and outside the faith. There is a basic misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian. See, many people think that a Christian is someone who is better than others people for whom sin or evil is no longer a thing to be reckoned with. And not only does this misunderstanding lead to criticism and judgment, but it derails people who might have pursued God. And if you are a Christian and you discover you're still struggling with some hang-up, this misconception that you're supposed to be better can lead you to discouragement or even despair. And now it's true that eventually a Christ follower is a better person, but I'm talking about initially. When they cross the line of faith and they trust in Jesus, are they immediately all better? Their old habits in their reactions You know, the old anger or deceit or using or abusing or whatever, is all that immediately gone? Now, let me just speak in this term. How many of you have ever tried to grow a lawn, even a small patch? Yeah. Here in California, it's hard with the water shortage, but think for a moment about weeds, okay? Maybe crabgrass. I want to ask you to think about those weeds in terms of old... Patterns of sin or or hang-ups in us. Well, I heard about an amazing variety of grass. I haven't tried it. Sounds like a great idea, though. It's called Zoya grass. Zoya grass are these little plugs you can put all around the lawn. Just disperse them in over three or four growing seasons. What happens is the Zoya grass spreads out, and it chokes out the weeds. Now, when you first plant those little plugs... The weeds, the crabgrass, it all looks the very same, but you can be happy because their days are numbered. I thought, you know, that's the same as the sin in my life. When I come to Christ, I may still have habits that look the same on the outside, but when there's this relationship of reverence, see what he does, God does, is he begins growing me. He enables me to get free of old patterns. And actually, there are only two things that are immediately different for a Christian the moment they say yes to Jesus. I just love listening to Tim Keller talk about this. You might want to write these two simple things in the margin. These are things that help a person grow. You see, from the moment they cross the line, here's the first thing. A Christian is strong enough to admit that they are weak. They say, I'm wicked, I'm sinful, I'm self-centered, I'm living for my own glory. I am incapable of any real goodness on my own. Now, what do you think of that statement? Did I overstate it? Uh, Would you say, well, I know I'm not perfect, but that's not a statement I would ever make about myself because, you know, that's bad for self-esteem. Listen, if that's you, I just want to be tender here you lack the strength given to a Christ follower by God. To admit that you're weak, that's not a strength that anyone has apart from God. And then there's a second thing that helps a person grow. It's a gift that we receive the moment we say yes to Jesus. It's the gift of God's Spirit. In the Bible, he's called Holy Spirit. He's planted in a person like a seed. It's the stuff that God is made of. It's the divine nature. He's like a little seed that goes into the ground and eventually up will come a tree. So even if old habits linger in me, those two things have been given to a Christ follower and it sets them up for growth. So right now, I want to think with you about a person who is a God follower, and ask this, is there really a likelihood that 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 person is going to struggle with hurtful habits? Let's think about Jonah. Do you remember back in March, we were studying Jonah. He was a professional Christian. He was a preacher. He spoke to people for God. Now, he started out in Joppa, and God told him to go talk to the people of Nineveh. Well, that rubbed him wrong because see, they were part of the Assyrians. They were savages. They were like terrorists. And Jonah was not a fan of God's heart for those people. So what did he do? He went the other way. And we remember that God used a big fish to get Jonah's attention. Now, Jonah wound up going to Nineveh after all. When he told those people, about what God intended to do, they listened. They were sorry. God forgave them. You know, it was a great spiritual victory. It should have been a career high for Jonah. But what did he do? He got angry. So angry, he said, I knew it. This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Look at what he said. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's pretty angry, don't you think? Jonah didn't want Nineveh saved. He was so full of racism and judgment that it enabled him to condemn 120,000 people to death. And then he rationalized it. (laughs) We might say, what gives wasn't he a man of the cloth i mean what this says is that any one of us can fall back into a pattern into an old reaction that hurts us that grieves god you see what was happening was a hidden place in jonah's heart was being revealed And what did it do to jonah it was like rot in his bones for us too When we rationalize and excuse the evil that still lurks at the door, it's self-destructive. But what does Proverbs tell us here? In verse 8, when I cultivate this fear of the Lord, this reverence for him, it says, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Listen, when you're looking online, have you noticed how much clickbait there is about being healthy? Well, this is better than clickbait. This is how to be healthy, to have a relationship of reverence that allows God to uproot destructive patterns. So I want to get real practical as we wrap up today. What do you do about it when you find yourself back in an old sin pattern? How do you confront harmful habits that you find in your own life Well, we can learn from Jonah. I've always thought it was just so weird that the book of Jonah ends like a cliffhanger. I mean, we're just left looking at Jonah's bad attitude. But now I've come to see it as a gift because we can learn from Jonah. Look at this. These these are lessons from Jonah on facing our own hangups. First, we need to examine our motives. Examine your motives. See, God is a wonderful counselor. Look at what happened. This is in Jonah 4. Then the Lord said, Do you think it is right for you to be angry? God is saying, Jonah, look at your motives. What are you really trusting in, Jonah? Your own righteousness, your own plans, Jonah? See, God's a wonderful counselor to you and me, too. So when we blow it, and we will, it's a great time to examine our motives and ask, what am I really putting my trust in? And then the next thing we can learn from Jonah is this. We need to tell somebody. Jonah must have told somebody. You know how I know? Because it's written here for us to read. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about many times people think of the book of Jonah like it's mythology. But he says, This doesn't read like mythology because nowhere in mythology do you find the hero made out to be such a jerk. (sighs) I mean, Jonah allowed his lack of character to be seen. And we need to tell somebody, look at what it says in James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We need to unmask it. Call it what it is. And then the last thing we can learn from Jonah is this. Trust God experientially, not just intellectually. See, trusting God is like a muscle. A muscle has to be used or it atrophies. God wants to relate to you. He wants to grow you like he did Jonah. And this relationship isn't stagnant. It gets richer. It gets deeper as you relate to him every day. You know, there wasn't a lot that I could understand from the writings of Dallas Willard. He's a really smart pastor and philosopher. But one thing he said has really stuck with me. He said, we must accept the circumstances we find ourselves in as the very stuff God wants to use for our transformation. Don't discard what's right before you because you're not stagnant. You're becoming through everyday life opportunities, through the ups and downs of life. And we're given two very succinct examples right here in Proverbs. In verse nine, it says, honor God with everything you own. Give him first and give to him the best. He's talking about times of plenty, times of abundance. He says, your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. See, when you get to know the Lord experientially, then when you're in times of abundance, God wants to grow you by helping you to become generous, to be a giver out of gratitude. But he also says there will be times of sorrow. Look at the next verse. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. He's talking about times of sorrow. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. Would you underline that? It's a beautiful line. A father's delight is behind all this. Behind all what? Behind all the ups and behind the sorrows. Behind the gifts and behind the times of trial. See, your father is delighting in you and wanting you to grow to experience his nearness more deeply, more personally through it all. Let me share with you one of the things that I do for myself to remember important spiritual principles that God chose me is that I save pictures that come to me. If they help me recall that truth. And today I brought with me a picture that's meaningful to me. I want to share it with you. Isn't that a beautiful, a gorgeous creature? Now, this is not photoshopped, okay? This is called a pink-necked green pigeon, and it lives in tropical parts of the world. And I just wanted to share it with you because I put it on my phone as my lock screen. See, it helps me to look at those baby birds under the wing of that parent bird And picture myself as one of those baby birds. It helps me to breathe when I look at a picture like this. Do you remember how we started out in this passage? How the writer simply said, My son? Well, that that picture helps me to hear my father say, My child. And there are many times that I feel vulnerable, that I feel clumsy, I feel clueless, and other times I feel, like any kid does, kind of full of myself, like I want to do it my way. And what I see in that picture is my father is wanting to pull me close. See, that's what he wants to do for you too. He's your father. He delights in you. Maybe as you look at that picture, I've just asked our team to allow us just to look at this for the rest of our time this morning, and if you want to pray with your eyes closed, maybe you love that old traditional way. That's great, but maybe you're like me, and you could feel what I feel when you look at this picture of protection, and maybe you could say to God, thank you for wanting to delight in me and pull me close to yourself, to pull me right under the shadow of your wings. Maybe you want to say to him, Lord, thank you that your wisdom secures me in your love that just goes on and on, your love that's so faithful that never leaves me. You know, the Bible says that it wasn't that we loved God so much, but that he loved us because he made the first move by sending his son, Jesus. Maybe you want to say to him, God, thank you that your wisdom guides me. Yeah, you guide me into relation, in, into making decisions, but more than anything, you guide me into a relationship with yourself. But maybe as we speak today about relationship, it kind of leaves you with an empty feeling because you've never yet said yes to Jesus and stepped into this relationship with him. If that's you, This is a good moment, just in the quietness of your heart, to say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I know that you have expressed unfailing, relentless, loyal love to me, and I just want to say yes. I want to start this relationship with you. See, he delights in answering that prayer. You just became his son or his daughter. Maybe you'd like to say to the Lord, thank you, Lord, that your wisdom grows me. And I just want to come closer to trusting you today with all of my heart by giving you, God, access to every hidden part of my heart. Take it all. See, the Lord is here. And as you acknowledge him, he delights in showing up for you. He is the promise-keeping Father. We can look forward to his faithfulness. And we just pray all this in the strong name of Jesus, and we thank you for answering God. Amen.